name is Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel, where I usually post slightly longer versions. All Bible verses are taken from the MTV, the Miss Tyler version, which is the Christian Standard Bible tweaked to make the content and the context more understandable to kids. Last time we talked about Jesus's self-control, which not only means what he did do, but what he could have done. Well, he could have done anything he wanted, including kill people. After all, it's easier to kill people than raise them from the dead, right? And he raised a few people from the dead, including himself, so killing everyone who irritated him with the snap of his fingers would have been a snap. But Jesus isn't Thanos. Jesus came to be an actual savior and not a fake one. That required a lot of self-control. I can think of times where I might have used that kind of power to kill people who don't use their turn signals on the freeway. And that's just one of the many differences between me and Jesus. But if you stick around, you'll find that there are enough to fill a thousand books. Something very much related to self-control is another one of Jesus's character traits. A trait is something that you notice from someone all the time. It doesn't change in that person and not everyone else acts like that. Last week, we talked about when Jesus went up on the Temple Mount saw what was going on, went back to the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary for the night, and after thinking about it all night, went back and forced all the people making a ruckus by buying and selling animals and money for the temple tax, and all that to close up shop and go somewhere else to do their business. People were there to pray and worship and listen to the singing of the Levites. Some Jews had to travel up to a month or more just to get there, and then had to do the same thing to go back home. And there were also Gentiles who had traveled long distances to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What kind of an example was this to them? Or the Roman soldiers watching everything from the Fortress Antonia when the temple grounds looked like a barnyard. It looked like the Jewish high priestly family didn't care about God at all and just wanted to be rich, which is what history tells us was exactly what happened, while the families of normal priests were just barely able to survive. Of course Jesus was angry about it, but he didn't kill them. He didn't whip them. He used the small flail to hurt away the animals. I mean... He had to make it there on the spot so it isn't like he had anything other than cloth or a belt to work with, right? Not like this was Indiana Jones in the Temple of God. Jesus saw a problem, a terrible problem that was disrespecting God and keeping people from being able to worship him. And not in a synagogue or anything, but at the temple, which is actually holy ground. So holy that the priest walked barefoot. So holy that the people weren't allowed to carry stuff up there or use the temple grounds as a shortcut to get through the city. The prophet Hosea, who had to deal with some really messed up nonsense in his life, 
tells us that the Lord says it is mercy God desires and not sacrifice. That means gentleness. It's just another part of not doing the worst we can do. Sure, we can insult people, but is it ever going to make the situation any better? We can hit them, but is that really going to help or make things worse? When we take what we really want to do and maybe even think we should do when we're angry and take it down a notch, or go home to have a cup of chamomile tea while we think and pray about it, or sometimes don't do anything at all because we are too angry to do what is good, that's mercy too. Jesus told a story once, a parable about the importance of being merciful, and that when God judges us, it isn't about a lot of the things we might think are important, but how we treat others as we want to be treated. Let's look at that. And Jesus said, for this reason, wait, for what reason? Let's backtrack or we won't understand what's happening here. Peter had just walked up to Jesus and asked how many times he has to forgive his brother. And no, we don't know if he was talking about Andrew or people in general. Maybe Andrew told the other disciples about the time that Peter, never mind. Peter thought he only had to forgive another person seven times, but Jesus said something like, uh, no, actually you have to forgive him so many times that you will lose count. Unless you're taking notes about how many times you've forgiven him, which is messed up and totally missing the point. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to get back all the money his slaves owed to him. When he looked at the books, a guy who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Let's hold up. How much money is that? It was what a person would earn if they worked for 160,000 years. So it was a lot. Maybe as much as $4 trillion today. Since he had no way to pay it back, his master gave an order that the man, his wife, his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt, which, you know, wasn't even going to come close, right? Remember that parables are stories that paint vivid and shocking pictures. They aren't really very accurate. When the slave heard all of this, he fell down on his face before his master and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Yeah, right. Four trillion dollars? I don't think so. Then the master of that slave had compassion, set him free, and said, you don't owe me anything anymore. Wow, right? How much money does this guy have if he can just forget when someone owes him 160,000 years worth of work? But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him only 100 days worth of money. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay me what you owe me. Seriously, does anyone think that this was a good idea? At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him. Does this sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw the guy into prison until he could pay back what was owed. And exactly who can pay back money when they're in prison? Does this sound like a good plan? When the other slaves saw what had happened, they were really upset and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then, after he'd summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave! 
I forgave you all that money because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. And if you miss the point of this, then you're going to be having nightmares about how mean God must be. But this sort of story was meant to only be scary to the sorts of people who aren't changed by God's forgiveness and mercy. In fact, this guy, this slave, was what we would call an oppressor. The Bible has a lot of stuff to say about the people who aren't just mean because they're hurting or they have a headache or because God's still working on them to make them more like Jesus. No, this guy owed so much money that you have to ask yourself, what on earth did he do with it? Right? I mean, when Jesus was here on earth teaching the people, they talked about sin like money owed to God. That was how they explained it. So much money that you couldn't ever pay it all off no matter how hard you worked. The only thing anyone could do to be forgiven was to ask God for mercy and to be loyal to him forever. That's what God wants. God doesn't want to punish us. He wants to forgive us and change us to be more like Jesus. God wants us to see that we are his servants and that we need his mercy. But what exactly is mercy? Mercy is when someone has the power to punish you, but they decide to forgive you instead or give you another chance. Mercy is when I got caught daydreaming and driving 35 miles per hour in a 25 mile per hour zone and the officer didn't give me a ticket because I admitted I was speeding and said I was sorry. Mercy is when an orphan steals a loaf of bread because he's starving and the grocery store owner not only doesn't press charges but also gives him the bread. Mercy is when we're really angry at someone else who's done something wrong and we don't hurt them. Mercy is when we ask God to forgive us for the terrible things and the small things we've done, and he does. God is God, and God is absolutely perfect. He has absolutely no reason why he has to forgive us, and he doesn't even owe it to us to forgive us. But he does forgive us because of his mercy. He knows that it's hard to be a human being and that sometimes we make bad choices and at other times we make very bad choices. He forgives us because he wants us to be able to start over again with him even when we can't start over again with the people we've hurt. He wants us to change. He knows that we can't be more like Jesus when we aren't forgiven. Being merciful to us, being gentle with us, is how God helps us to learn to be different in a world that tells us that being merciful makes us weak and wimpy. But God is gentle with us, and so we are supposed to learn how to be gentle with others, and especially gentle with people who are weaker, poorer, and sicker than we are. That's actually the message of that parable. A master is more powerful than their slave, right? A master has the law on their side and can do whatever they want to their slave, which is why we can't have slaves and still be loving our neighbor because a person who has been taken as a slave is still our neighbor but we aren't treating him like he is. In Jesus's world, slaves could be crucified for any reason at all. A slave who owed their master money was lucky to be thrown into jail because the alternative was way worse. 
being nailed to a cross. That's our first clue that this master is merciful. Two, this master actually gave his slave almost $4 trillion in today's money. That's not just a one-time loan. He had been giving this slave money for a long time. He had been giving this slave a lot of chances, but never getting paid back. Three, when the slave was never going to be able to pay him back and begged him for mercy and promised to pay him back anyway, even though they both knew it was impossible, the master let him go and crossed the debt off the books like it had never existed. The master didn't just let him go, he let everything go. He was never going to get that money back. It was gone and no one would be punished for it. That master is awesome. He is gentle and merciful. He didn't do what he had the power to do. In fact, no one would have blamed him no matter what awful things he did to that guy. His friends would even call him a fool for letting him go and telling him he's just asking to be taken advantage of in the future. And that's exactly what God is like. As you read the Bible, you will go through the stories of the kings of Israel and read about Manasseh and say, excuse me, he forgave Manasseh? Don't do it! The master in this parable is very powerful and very wealthy, but he isn't unfair. He's someone who can always be trusted. What about this slave who owed him 160,000 years worth of work wages? What kind of person is he? One, he isn't really responsible with what people give him, right? Oh my gosh, I could live forever and still never spend $4 trillion. But I would have all the books. He's the kind of guy who is given a million chances and just wastes them. But that doesn't mean that his master is heartless. After all, it was the master who gave him all that money, right? His master is very generous, so generous that it's just crazy. He has a wife and kids. We know that. He doesn't want to go to jail, and so he begs for mercy and promises to pay back the money, even though he's lying because it's not even possible. But when his merciful master lets him totally off the hook, what does this guy do? Does he go around telling everyone how merciful and generous his master is? Well, that's what he was supposed to do in those days. If someone did something amazing for you, you were supposed to make them famous for it. And frankly, four trillion dollars should have bought a lot of positive PR. What happened instead would have shocked Jesus's audience. Instead of being happy and dancing and singing in the streets of Jerusalem and making his master famous, he went to another slave, okay? This slave had borrowed like $6,000 from the guy who had just been forgiven. And where do you think that $6,000 came from? That's right. It came from the money he had borrowed from his master in the first place, which he now didn't have to pay back, which should have meant that he needed to forgive everyone who borrowed money from him because who had they really gotten it from? It was their master who gave it to him in the first place. He didn't have any personal money to loan. He was like what we call a middleman, just passing money from his master to other people. That's how crazy all of this is. And did he ask for the money back nicely? No. First he grabbed the dude, and then he started choking him, and then he demanded the money back. 
money that wasn't his in the first place. You know how they say that violence isn't the answer? Actually, you know, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us to turn the other cheek when we get smacked. Not only isn't violence the answer, but he gets violent before he even asks for the money. This guy had to be working for the mob and not such a merciful master. Of course, the guy doesn't have that much money to pay him back, the money that wasn't even his in the first place. Are you confused yet? And ask for forgiveness and time to pay back the loan. Now, payback on this loan would be hard, but not impossible. But no. The forgiven slave chucked that poor guy in jail after beating him up. He went from zero to total rage monster in less than 60 seconds, okay? Well, of course, the other slaves were really upset about that. The other slaves knew their master, obviously, and knew this would upset him too. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother him, right? Remember how people mostly tried to avoid dealing with the false gods of the nations because it was better off if they left you alone? Well, it's the same thing with slave masters. Of course, our God isn't actually a slave master. In the Bible, we see that he is the God who sets slaves free. I mean, that's what Exodus is all about. Parables show what God is like and what he is not like. So there will be things that do and do not fit in the story because the story is about gentleness and mercy. And that's the part we have to pay attention to. Well, the master is really torqued off. And in the Roman Empire, he would have had the slave crucified as easy as one, two, three. But he doesn't. He's still merciful. He isn't violent, doesn't grab him and choke him either, but he does send the man to prison for not being merciful when he was shown such amazing mercy. He doesn't even do to the man as much as he did to his fellow slave. Even though the punishment is harsh, you know, life in prison, it's way less than what he did to the guy who owed him the smaller amount of money, the much smaller amount of money. The master was merciful because he didn't do all the same things, but he was also just fair because his slave was what is called an oppressor and needed to be put somewhere that he couldn't hurt anyone anymore. Oppressors aren't merciful. And so to understand mercy and gentleness, we have to understand the opposite. An oppressor is a bully. How terrible an oppressor is depends on what the bully has to work with and how they can use it against others. Men and women and boys and girls and old people and young people can all be oppressors. People can use money, food, weapons, power, and their bodies to oppress other people. An oppressor is someone who uses whatever they have to keep other people under control. Someone who is big and strong can use their strength to keep everyone else too afraid to stop them from whatever it is they want to do. Weapons can be used the same way. If you have money, then you can hurt people who don't have money. If people are starving and you have all the food, then you can make them do whatever you want before giving them any. During the life of Jesus on earth, the two big bullies in the neighborhood were the Romans and the high priest's family. 
they used, what they had to get richer and more powerful, while everyone else got poorer and less powerful. The Romans used their soldiers to get what they wanted. The high priest's family was even more shameful because they used the Bible to hurt people. Did you know that people can use the Bible to hurt others if they ignore the commandments that tell them to love their neighbors? When the Romans took over the province of Syria, it gave them total control over all of the people living in the Holy Land. And they demanded to be paid 25% of all the food the people produced on their lands, plants and animals. That's a lot. That means for every four figs or almonds they picked, they had to give one to the tax collectors and that it was all taken far away to feed the people in Rome. But that wasn't the worst part, because we would expect them to be evil and not care about the Jewish people or anyone else either. The worst part was that the high priest family had gotten rich, really, really rich, from the tithes that people paid, another 10% of the year, so one out of 10 of everything. They didn't need the money, and they could have returned it to the people because the tithe also belonged to people who were poor but they weren't getting it. They were having to sell their land because they couldn't make enough to pay all the taxes and still have enough left over to feed their families. What could they do? The regular priests weren't getting that food either, and they were losing their lands too. Since the chief priest didn't need it, the Pharisees who ran the court systems could have made a law to help out the people but they were so determined to keep the law perfectly that they were making it impossible for the poorer people to survive and keep the commandments. And Jesus was really harsh with them about it. He told them that they were all anxious to tithe even their tiniest garden spices because they could afford to do it, but they weren't being fair to the people who were most vulnerable, the people who would die if they just made the rich priests richer. The Pharisees were what we would call fundamentalists today. They were determined to do what the Bible literally said even if people got hurt, although sometimes they also interpreted the Bible in ways that let them do whatever they wanted, like divorcing their wives for whatever reason they wanted to and marrying someone else. Jesus said that it was great that they were tithing and all that, but they weren't being faithful to what is most important to God. Mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Those words meant something then that is different from how we would use them today. Faithfulness is about being trustworthy. It was the word used to describe how soldiers trust their commanders to make good decisions and how commanders trust their soldiers to do what they're told so those plans will work. Jesus was telling them that they weren't obeying God just because they were tithing everything they grew. Justice and righteousness were two words in Hebrew that meant taking care of the people who were vulnerable, the poor, hungry, widowed, orphaned, sick, and those wrongfully in prison. And we've been talking about what mercy means, being gentle to people who have less strength, power, and resources than we do. They could keep the Sabbaths and go to Jerusalem for the festivals and never eat pork, and that was great. But if they were causing poor people to lose their land and starve, then they weren't doing what is important to God. Jesus called them blind because they saw what the commandments said, but didn't see the suffering of the people around them. 
They didn't know God well enough to see what he cared about the most. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I hope you will spend time thinking about mercy and gentleness. Are you gentle when you have things that can be used to help or hurt? Are you gentle with your words and your body when you're angry? Are you as merciful to others as God is with you? Hey there, if you are enjoying Context for Kids on the radio, but you want to get more in-depth in certain areas that I just can't cover well on the radio show, check out my four-volume curriculum series, Context for Kids, Honor and Shame in the Bible for ages 7 and up, Ten Commandments and Covenants of Promise for ages 10 and up, Identity, Idolatry, and the New Creation for ages 13 and up, and Sexuality, Social Identity, and Kinship Relations in the Bible for Older Teens and Adults.